You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. All right, Salem, are we ready to dive into a little bit more of what God has to say this morning? Thank you. Zechariah 9, 9 to 12. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is key. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to shining sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoner of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. And then Matthew chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a, colt, a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying what you just heard. Then in chapter 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd, I love that, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the, entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. We'll stop there. And then it says in Isaiah chapter 56, 7 and 8. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The word of the Lord. When I was ordained, I was standing right here, and different people brought different items liturgically, sentimentally, Elder Bill and Lena gave me a bottle of wine. Praise the name of Jesus. Well-aged wine. Still haven't opened it because it represents the Eucharist that I'll be presiding over as a pastor. Somebody brought me the church constitution and said, make sure you live not as a maverick, but as somebody who's obedient and pays attention to the overall good, not just for now, but for the next generation. And then a wonderful moment took place between me and somebody who is more than just a best friend, a brother in Christ and beyond, Ian Zrodlowski, handed me keys to the church. And he said, let the doors of this church always be open. And then he whispered, except for at night when we close because there's expensive equipment in here. 
let the doors always be open. And it comes from what Jesus said on Palm Sunday. Let the doors be open to all. And that's the title of today's sermon. Last week we discussed the damning voices and how God doesn't want us to rebuke those voices, but he wants us to bring those voices to Easter. He wants us to bring those voices to the cross so that he can speak a better word, not just to cast those voices out, but to change what they say so that we could be introduced to God and so that we can be reintroduced to ourselves over and over and over again. Because to know God fully is to know yourself fully. And sometimes we're so confused about ourselves because we, we, we are not as open to learning about God. We're trying to rebuke stuff, and God just wants to gently speak over things. Remember, cut off the chariot and the war horse. Stop rebuking everything in your life. Just let Jesus speak a word over it because he doesn't want to get rid of those voices that plague us. He wants to change those voices. Okay? Next week... Starting on Easter Sunday, we're going to begin a series on the challenge of things going right. Has anybody had a moment where there was so much crisis, and then it starts to go okay, and you almost don't know what to do with yourself? A few weeks ago, Jacqueline and I were getting ready in the morning, trying to get the kids ready, get Sophia to school. We both had to get to work. And around, like, we don't have to leave until like 8.50. And around 8.20, here's what we're doing in different rooms, just walking around, like zombies. And all of a sudden, like, we're just looking in a closet, looking in a cabinet, and I'm like, Jacqueline, what are you doing? She's like, nothing, I'm just walking around. I said, so am I. I said, are we early? We don't know what to do with our life right now. Everything's ready to go. The kids were sitting there, like, watching a cartoon, backpack, shoes, pants were on. Theo had both of his shoes on, which is a miracle unto itself. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do with my body when we're on time. I'm really good at being in crisis. Is anybody with me? You got the crisis muscles down. But all of a sudden, when there's no drama, we kind of want to create some. Kind of want to send a text. Say something to somebody. Send an article to somebody. Stir something up. We have been in crisis since 2020. I have a feeling in my soul that things are getting better. I have a feeling in my soul that people who are locked in to Jesus may not be experiencing better circumstances, but there's a healing on its way to the inside of who you are that is going to be at peace in the middle of a storm, peace that will allow us to just row through the storm knowing it's going to end at some point. But when things begin to go right... There are also temptations. There are things that can go very wrong when things start to go very right. And so I want to start talking about that next week. Not today, next week. Today, I want to talk quickly about what God did, wants to do, and is doing in the healing process of opening doors that will never be shut. So Psalm 118, Elder George read it to open the service. There's a few things in Psalm 118 that we all know. It says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. It says, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And it says, save us, we beseech thee. Save us, we pray. So look at these phrases. 
Open to me the gates of righteousness. Why? Because I cannot open them by myself. This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because it's not a day that I could have made for myself. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes, but it's not my doing. Save us, we pray, because I cannot save myself. Do you see the theme in Psalm 118? Is It's the prayer of a helped, helpless person. Psalm 118 is a psalm that our ego does not want to sing. Our ego does not want to say, open for me the gates of righteousness. Our ego wants to be able to open them for ourselves. Our ego doesn't want to say, this is the day the Lord has made. Our ego wants to say, this is the day I've made, and everyone else should rejoice and be glad in it, or you're dead to me. Look at this amazing day that I've made. Our ego wants to say, this is my doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Our ego wants to say, stop asking him to save you. I can save you. Psalm 118 is the psalm of a helpless person who has been helped. And it's the song that Jesus wants us to learn to sing. And it's the song that Jesus wants unbelievers and outsiders of the church to sing because the church is doing its job. We're good? My mic's on? Uh, Mic's on? It's working? Is this an April Fool's joke? Do you tell everybody not to say anything? You got me last year, man. You get me again? Ian told me he was quitting last year. (laughs) Hurt. This is a song sung by Israel in exile. Only God can do this. Only God can open gates so that we can get out of exile. Only God can make a day of rejoicing in the midst of a day where everyone else is oppressing me. Only God can do these things. And if I'm rejected, only God can make me say, I'm rejected. But look what he did with this rejected stone. He's now using it in the, in the building of a better temple. Only God can do these things. People who are so confident in their own self to make life happen for them and others the way they want it to cannot sing Psalm 118. There are so many people that won't even give the church the time of day because all we do is lock the doors and protect ourselves from who's out there. And church is not about keeping us safe from who's out there. Church is about going through all the vulnerability and all the risk of opening those doors and letting everyone out there in here and all the stuff that comes from that. But for so long, the church has been a temple or a fortress or a castle that protects those inside from those who are outside. And Jesus comes and he flips those tables and he turns that orderliness. How many have heard we should do all things decently and in? But sometimes when things are so decent and so in order, our orderliness protects those who are on the inside and ostracizes those who are on the outside. Sometimes, in some ways, the church needs disorder and chaos so that others can come in and say, oh, I can get with this. Did Jesus restore order or did he disrupt when he's flipping tables? He's disrupting order. He's making it chaotic because their orderliness was keeping people out. They weren't telling people you're not allowed in, 
but because of the way things were run, certain people who were invited to be there just couldn't get there. If you were blind and lame, you were allowed into the temple, but they didn't have a Jesus saves bus coming to get you. So yeah, of course, Jesus, we didn't tell them that they can't come in here. Right, but your system made it impossible for them to. You see that? Oh, you know, if you come in here and you exchange your money, you can buy turtle doves, you can buy lambs, and then you can participate in Passover. But I don't have money. Well, when you get some, you're invited. Did we technically tell them they couldn't come? No. But did our system keep them from being able to? Yes. So sometimes we're so orderly that our orderliness is satanic because it only works for people who are healthy enough to function in that orderliness and it rejects people who can't. And Jesus is saying, I'm flipping that orderliness upside down and as soon as he does, the blind and the lame come to him. How? Presumably, when he disrupted the order, people were released and open to realizing, let's go get them, and let's bring them. And they were mad at him, and they killed him for disrupting their order and messing up their temple. Now, let me say something. This is not about Jews and Pharisees. It's not about Jews and Pharisees. Christians have been as pharisaical as the Pharisees and less moral than them, so we've been worse. We've had the same, ooh, almost said a bad word. We've had the same attitude. I really did. That was the first time I almost just said something like, what was that? Man, somebody's praying for me. Yo, that prayer, prayer group, thank you. Thank you. Holy smokes. I was, we've had the same bad attitude as the Pharisees and not a tenth of their morality. We've been far worse. We made a new old covenant with new fundamentalism and new legalisms. This is not about Pharisees and Jews messing up the temple. This is about how in every single period in history, in every culture, in every people group, there is a way in which we order things so that those who are the most healthy and the most profitable can thrive and those who aren't just go by the wayside. Everyone does it, and the church has done it as much if not more than anything that we read about the Pharisees in the Gospels. Some people are invited, but you can come, but once, once you, you know, but just, just don't bring this. Don't act this way. You can come, but just acknowledge that you're wrong first. While you were still dead in your trespasses and sins, Christ came and died for you. He didn't say get it together first. He doesn't do that. He's not a get it together first kind of God. He's a God who says, you can't get it together. I got it together for you. Just bring the mess in and we'll deal with it when you get in here. That's who Jesus is and that's who we ought to be. Ask our, well, let, let me go through the process. Ian, slides. Slides. Let's look at an ancient future reading of Palm Sunday. Historical. Jesus' action did open doors for those who were outside. His actions historically, documented in the text, opened doors for people who were outside. He stood there and disrupted things enough 
so that people who maybe were invited or maybe weren't, but definitely couldn't get there even if they were invited, he made it so that they could come in. The blind and the lame. He opened doors. Now here's something we need to know. It's Passover. And in Passover, the Jewish people are celebrating the exodus from Egypt. So they're extremely amped up about being free. But as they're celebrating Passover, they're aware that there's a new pharaoh in town. His name is Caesar, and Rome is now occupying Jerusalem. So while they're celebrating freedom from a past slavery, they're celebrating that while they're in a new current slavery. And so Pontius Pilate, who's normally not stationed in Jerusalem, has to come to Jerusalem every Passover because the Jewish people are getting very excited. And if you read history, there's somebody named Judas Maccabeus who led a revolt trying to take out the Romans. So now they bring extra bands of Roman soldiers and they bring the governor himself into Jerusalem during Passover so that the marches and the riots and the things don't get too crazy so Rome could keep its power. Why do I say all that? I say that because... Pilate used to come into town the same way every year. He would ride up the west side of Jerusalem on a war horse with spears and arrows and chariots and men in armor with swords and flags. While he's riding up the west side highway, Jesus is on the east side going a mile an hour on a donkey. Slowly. Now, where's the sunrise? Symbolically, these two men, these two kings, these two governors are riding into Jerusalem. One on the west side, filled with military intimidation. The other on the east side, humble and mounted on a donkey. The sun is setting on military power and coercion. Law and order is being laid down for grace and peace. Salem. This is going to get him killed. This is going to keep Pilate alive. It seems logical to join the parade of the guy on the war horse with the cannons, guns, and tanks. But this guy has his life, and you can't take it from him even when you do. He's got peace. He's got nothing but anxiety. He knows that death can't even stop him, and he's trying to keep his position. His whole life is spent exhausted trying to stay in power, and Jesus' life is filled with energy because he knows I'm going to be taken out of power, and that's still not going to end my power. So Jesus rides humbly, setting the sun on coercion and manipulation and intimidation, opening doors, not keeping fortresses closed. But opening doors makes things messy for everybody, including Jesus. But historically, he opened doors for those outside. So what does that mean? In an ecclesial way, in a church mission way, Jesus' church should open doors for those outside. Historically, he opened doors, and now his church, his body, should be opening, not closing 
doors. So ask ourselves this question as a church, the way that we live our life outside of Sunday. We might say, of course anybody could be my friend. I'm willing to be friends with anyone. Good for you. You're saying that. But is the day-to-day, Sunday through Saturday life, allowing that? Is the orderliness giving space for those words to actually be true? Do we, are we saying anyone? I could be friends with anybody. I'm a Republican. I could even be friends with a Democrat. Lord, use me. But at the end of the day, if you took a log of everyone you hang out with and texted and shared life with, does it look like what you're saying? Do the demographics of your social network look like this room looks right now? Probably not. I just wanted to know. It was a rhetorical question, but maybe not. What are we doing? What are we willing to not have or not be able to do to open doors? Like we said earlier, if you're going to be the kind of person who has doors open for those who are unlike you, disagree with you, live in ways that you find repulsive, all of these things, there's things that you won't be able to do to have time to do that. At the end of it all, when you're by yourself, what are you willing to not do so that, quote unquote, the blind and the lame could find their way into your life and be comfortable and safe there? Jesus, do we agree he bears us on his shoulders? Do we agree with this? But who got him the donkey? Did he get it himself? Did he need help? We got him. We provided for him. We helped him along the road. How is it that the God who bears us is also the God who was born by us? How do we, liter- how do we provide for Jesus? He says it. When you did it for the least of these, you. And the people he lists... You could summarize that list by saying, it's people who probably aren't profitable to you. There are people who bring value into my life. Now, I'm saying this very carefully. There are people who I've assigned value to that bring value into my life. But there isn't a person who can't bring value into my life. And that is where I need to repent of. I've determined who can bring value into my life. And those people can and do. But that determination has set up an orderliness where I've also determined that other people can't bring value into my life. And Jesus is over here in my face saying, Bill, who couldn't bring value into your life that I created? Here's the microphone guy. And I'm like, uh, like they say in the Bible, I'm like, Lord, surely you know. But it means I have to endure things, change my mind about things, open myself to new realities if this is actually going to work. Until I do that, it's all just speak. Nothing changes because I'm saying stuff. It changes when I start doing stuff, putting in the work, opening doors, and saying, anyone could just come in. Yes. Yes. And everyone that comes in can add value to your life. Everyone. 
can you put up the quote from the master himself? Maybe God gives us palm branches to wave so that we can drop the stones we want to throw. Your elder, Bill Bernasconi, said that this morning. How many years have you been walking with Jesus? 40 years. That's what pours out of you effortlessly after 40 years. He cried that this morning. It came out as teardrops, effortlessly. He puts palm branches in our hands so that we have to drop the stones that we want to throw. That's the way you open doors for people. As long as you have stones in your hands, you can't open doors for anybody. So he says, take these palm branches instead. Drop those stones. This is how we open doors. And let's just be honest. You don't have to do it now. We're not going to have an altar call today. But I want everybody to be honest this week. Be really honest with yourself. Name the kinds of people that you don't want to be around. Literally do it. Don't do it. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me about it. Don't send me an email. I don't want to know. I have my list. You might be on it. I am saying. Like, I don't... Whatever. Just let's keep it to ourselves. The world is safer when we keep the series up. Don't post it. Don't, you know... Just know it. Talk to your spouse or maybe not because maybe they're on it. Like, just be easy. But then write, like, but literally do it. I'm asking you to do it. I'm telling you to do it. Write down, describe the kinds of people that just absolutely grind your gears the wrong way, that take energy from you when you're around them, that make you feel like, I don't know, if I don't say anything, I'm enabling, and if I do say something, I'm judging, so I'd rather just not be around them. Like, whoever just throws you off your game, whoever you think is just a user and not a producer, whatever, whatever it is for you, and then... On Good Friday and Holy Saturday, repent 20 times a day for having that list. Repent 20 times a day for having that list. And decide on Easter Sunday to do it differently. And here's how you're going to have the ability to do it. The third one. Jesus' action did open doors for those outside. Jesus' church should open doors for those outside. And Jesus' gospel does open doors for the parts of me that I have thrown outside. Here's the reality. Every time there's people around us that we don't want to be around, it's because there's parts of ourselves that we don't want to be around. If we were at home, if we were truly comfortable with who we are, we would truly be comfortable with anybody who walks into our life. There is a direct correlation between my insecurities and people that I don't want to be around. Because whenever a group of people threatens where I already feel threatened, I want to stay away from them. Not because I don't like them, but because I don't like the part of me that they're plucking. Somebody could say something about you in an area where you're not insecure at all, and you're just like, Lord, I'm gonna, love, I'm gonna turn the other cheek today. I'm going to turn my other cheek today. Then somebody says something to you that's nothing. A look. But it strikes an insecurity that you have, and you want to turn their cheek by slapping it. <laughs> Throws you off your game. You're thinking about it all day. You're thinking about it at night. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking of all the things you wish you said in that moment. 
Why is it that somebody could hit you with a dagger, and if it's in the area that you're secure, it doesn't bother you? Somebody could hit you with a look, and if that look triggers something that you're already insecure about, or if somebody's lifestyle triggers you in an area where you're already insecure, all of a sudden, you're thrown for days, weeks, months, maybe a year. Because we will separate the parts of ourselves that we like from the parts that we don't, and to that extent, we will separate people we like from people we don't. And I'm not saying it's perfect, this is porous relationship, but odds are there's a correlation between the people that you don't like to be around and parts of you you don't like about yourself. Jesus was so at home in who he was that he is able to sit comfortably at a Passover table and enjoy a meal with the ones who are setting out to kill him. Enjoy a meal and never bring it up. Again, have you, ever have you ever thought of a good line to say to somebody that you don't like and now you hope they say something to you? Because you finally got something? Jesus is sitting there with all the best lines and he's looking at Peter, licking his lips, eating his leeks and garlic. And he doesn't say a word. And when it comes to Judas, he's like, hey, you know that thing you're going to go do? And Judas is like, what thing? <laughs> I don't know a thing. Jesus is like, just here's what I want you to do. Go do it quickly. What? How does he know? And how did he not say anything? Because he's at home in himself. And when you're at home in yourself, you don't have to say anything to anybody who's living in a way that you don't think they should be living. You can just enjoy being around them. Oh my gosh, is that possible? I'm pretty sure Jacqueline does it every night when we sit down together. She's at home in herself. Me, Sophie, and Theo making a mess, crying, spilling our rice on the floor, taking our shoes off and throwing them. Jacqueline's like, I'm so at peace with myself. <sighs> Jesus is riding into your life this morning. John and Steph, you guys can come up here. Let's, no, don't stand to your feet yet. I always make you stand for too long. Sit down for one more second. Worship team, you can come up. Everybody else, remain comfortable for a moment. Jesus is riding into your life. And here's the thing. You may have learned about a God who rides into your life like Pontius Pilate rode into Jerusalem. Angry, defensive, insecure. Hi, everybody. I know the worship team's walking up here. Pay right here. Right here, right here. Pay attention to me. It's for your own good. It's for your own good today. You know your life is falling apart when looking at me is for your own good. I apologize that your life has made it to this point, but it's here, so let's just embrace it. We think God rides into our life like Pontius Pilate rides into Jerusalem, defensive, angry, ready to keep the peace by striking down everything that he sees that's not good. But that's not how he's riding into your life this morning. He's riding into your life humble and mounted on a donkey. And as my brother Frank was pointing out with me this morning when we were texting about it, a donkey and its baby because he holds the family together. He doesn't separate. He brings together. He includes the family of God in everything that he does. 
and he's writing into your life. He's writing into your insecurities this morning. Humble, slow, and ready to speak a word over you that will make you at home in yourself so that you can be doors that are open for everybody. The Psalm says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through. Jesus is praying that same Psalm. How is Jesus saying, open for me the gates of righteousness? Who is he talking to? How does Jesus, Jesus his whole life prayed that Psalm. But what does it mean when Jesus prays, open for me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through? When he prays that, he's looking at these gates. And he's saying, open to me. Open your heart to me. Open your life to me. That I may enter through and bring salvation. Not salvation from hell, a better salvation. Salvation from the hell that you feel inside of you every day. Not salvation from hell when you die. That's a done deal. Salvation from the hell that you feel about certain parts of who you are, that life seems to be pressing on and pointing out, that you try to keep pushing down, he's saying, let those parts of you come to me. Open the gates. Let me go into those areas. And let me show you that you are so much more valuable, so much more powerful, so much more ready for the world around you than you realize. You, right now, can do so much good. Just open. And when we open to him, we open to ourselves. And when we open to ourselves, we open to others and those that we could never imagine being open to, we open to them and we're not thrown by them. And when the church does that, people can come here and it will get weird in here. And that's perfectly fine. Because all we want is for people to experience the love and patience of God that we have experienced our whole lives. And we trust that when that's done, what needs to be made right in a person will be, and what can wait will wait. And we can worship together. Now let's stand to our feet this morning. The bookends of the Psalm, 118, say his love endures forever. You ever just pause and think about that phrase? His love endures forever. What does it mean? Have you ever had to endure something? Is it fun to endure something? Has Don ever just started talking to you about his day and you're like, I wish he would be quiet? And you just have to endure this story about lumber? and flooring. <laughs> Jacqueline has heard this sermon 8,000 times this week. Endured it. Who likes to endure? The, but listen, it says his love does what? It endures. It has endurance. It outlasts our sin. It outlasts our rejection. It endures forever. Here's the thing. My sin won't continue forever, but his love will. My rejections of him will not continue forever, but his love will. The sinful lives that people out there are living, they won't go on forever, but his love will. His love endures for how long? 
and ever and ever and ever. And that is our promise and that is our hope and that's what lets us know we can open up the insecurities, we can open up the gates to Jesus, we can let him in because his love has the endurance to work through those things that we're tired of trying to work through. It will endure for you forever. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you showed us your passion. You showed us what love looks like by saying, this is my body broken for you. Love looks like the willingness to be disrupted if it means something good can happen for somebody else. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. You're showing us, Jesus, that to love means to spill, to get messy, to be broken because of the chance that good can happen. And you invite us to this table as a reminder of the love we get from you and the love that we are to execute for others because of you. So I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Descend on us also, forgive us of our sins, anoint us for the task of the ministry to bring glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by opening our gates to you, to others, and trusting that the one who rides in humble is the one whose love can endure forever. Pilate's power cannot endure as long as your love can. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you come and receive the Lord's body? Write down that list, Salem. All the people, the kinds of people you don't like. And then on Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday, repent 20 times a day for having that list and start new again. This side can come. Elder George will be here. This side can come. Elder Ron would be here. Worship with us one more time this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.